I wasn't wearing a costume. I wasn't playing a character. I was starting to, just how you learn a character when you're like working on a new script and you're like, what are their intentions? Who are they? What do they do? Like I was relearning myself. First time where I really had to say, okay, so I'm not Sarah the performer, so who am I then? Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey Jess. Hey Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. This episode's conversation features our guest, Sarah Strimmel. She is a former Broadway showgirl, the founder of Damn Good Yoga, a breast cancer survivor, and a true artist becoming. Here we go. Sarah Strimmel, welcome to Artist Becoming. We are beside ourselves to have you. Thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to like two of my favorite ladies. Oh. Jess and I have been fangirls since day one. We would schlep ourselves all the way down to the village from the upper, upper west side to take your class and wish that we could still say we could do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? I've got a Sarah Strimmel. I was just thinking as you were introducing her and our schlep down to the West Village to take class with Sarah was I will never forget that. Shelby was getting me back into yoga and I think I was like a week or two in and I was struggling huffing and puffing and full hot yoga studio head to toe covered in clothing items <laughs> I came out of class and Sarah was like okay girl we gotta get you a sports bra <laughs> Do you oh, no wait no I did not say that to you <laughs> Because I would come to yoga and I didn't even have a sports bra I would have like a lace like walk hole full breast that's why you had that underwire and I was like girl that can't be comfortable for you and it wasn't so <laughs> to Sarah um, welcome how appropriate because we're going to be talking titties a lot today we are going to talk titties. are because among so many incredible things you are a Broadway veteran showgirl dancer performing artist from the very core and fiber of your being business owner, entrepreneur, yogic mentor of mine, and most recently breast cancer survivor extraordinaire. And I get full body tingles saying that out loud and sitting before you. Oh my God. I'm already crying. Why you got a shelf? Well, they can like, they can feel the tears on the podcast because that's how good of artists we are. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for that gorgeous introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Make me sound way cooler than I really am. But yes, I, I do do all those things or have done. Oh, also lived on a boat. Also uh, rides motorcycles. Like those are just sidebars because I don't stalk you ever. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of like kind of bizarro. I surf and yeah, dude, there's, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of books in me. Uh, one being written right now, but yeah, we'll get to that. We will definitely get to that. Um, to ground our conversation, Sarah, in the context of artists becoming and the audience that we're serving and connecting with, can you guide us a little bit through your artistic journey, perhaps little bright ping points that guided your path, perhaps when you first knew that you'd be a performer? Um, I definitely, when I was like three years old and my mom, you know, put me in dance class, like we had a big trunk in the basement and my mom would just gather random costume pieces from Halloween, from other people's Halloween costumes. And then, you know, and I would go down there as a young girl and just pull out whatever costume I would put weird things together. And by myself in the basement, I would put on full blown shows to myself and like perhaps some stuffed animals. I'm not sure. Um, but like, so I kind of knew then and like, I would tell everyone jokes on the street and I was like, okay, this feels like even like as a time, like a very young girl, I was like, I love this. And so like growing up, you know, I, I was just dancing at the dance studio, you know, like the uh, dance mom's kind of dance studio, mm -hmm. except my mom was not a dance mom at all. She would drop me off and go shopping. She'd be like, have fun, sweetie. And then she'd pick me up when she'd pick me up. She, Cause like all the other moms would stay and watch. Yeah. And she'd pick me up and I'd just get in the car and she'd be like, were you the best one? 
And I was like, yes, yes, mom, I was the best one. Okay, good. <laughs> that was about it. Um, which, you know, was therapy bills way later on in life. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I should like she's like she's like I'd be like oh mom I just taught yoga were you the best one <laughs> I shit, shit you not oh I swore already oh um yeah so like you know so I knew this was something I love to do and of course like going through high school I did all the things that you're supposed to do like I was the tallest cheerleader and I thought that was unfortunate because I could only hold people and I didn't get to be the star of the pyramid so I was like not for me not you know the base why it's so rude um small people can hold tall people you know i mean i'm trying to be the star though like don't for you ma'am you probably were because you are beautiful and petite and they could throw you around and i just was the big honking bass it's fine (laughs) Um, you know it's funny because i was the base of the cheerleading pyramid and then i was like couldn't get out of the ensemble for my entire broadway career so yeah. yeah, you're talking to core veterans, so we feel you. Mm-hmm. Listen, the ensemble is the hardest working heart of every single show. But, you know, one day you kind of put me on top of the pyramid, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I knew I wanted to perform. I tried all the things. And um, and at the end of the day, I, I, was like, I was trying to decide, do I want to go to New York right away i had my equity card at 18 i was in the uh pittsburgh civic light opera ensemble at 18 so i got my equity card um for you guys that are listening the equity card is your union card which you kind of need to have to audition really you can audition in new york without it but it's horrible yeah so um so uh, i had to decide do i want to go to college do i want to go to new york and i pick i thought i wasn't ready to go to new york yet i just wanted to have a little more uh, maturity under my belt went to ccm uh, College Conservatory of Music, Cincinnati. And then, um, as you would have it, I still auditioned and flew myself to New York during my, my musical theater program. And I left my senior year to do the producers. So I, I booked the producers when I was 20, 20? Say 20. No way. I did not know. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know? Y'all are going to so much tonight. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, so I got, you know, I was think I was like six credits short of getting my degree, but my theory is when a door opens, you know, you walk through it and I didn't need a college degree to go through this door, you know, um, all I needed to be was 5'11 and a showgirl. <laughs> so, hey, so that was the beginning. And it's funny when you make choices like that. And then you look back and my entire career was pivotal on that choice I made because Susan Stroman became sort of my Broadway fairy godmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and her. from the producers came what, six, seven other Broadway shows um, and some tours. And yeah, so I did it for 15 years and it was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm just like, I don't think it, oof. To book one Broadway show is like sort of a pinnacle that so many artists are out there hustling for. And to t- kind of be someone that was just going bop, 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 show to show to show, like that is an enormous feat. And it, it's, a testim- it's a testimony to just your presence and the relationships you built. And so much of what we've been talking about is relationships within this industry, but I did a show after you had done it. And so I knew of you from American in Paris and I had heard your name and- That's right, you did the tour. Yes. And something that was sort of so fun because I really got to know you by taking your class, um, taking your yoga class. But what I had heard about you, you know, through the Broadway grapevine was always just like, oh my God, Sarah Strimmel, unapologetic, fierce advocate, voice, like, not which isn't the so much of what we've talked about because we've also spoken with a lot of ballet dancers is the opposite like the apologeticness of artists the shame the discomfort to use your voice despite using it on stage just having this kind of meek apologetic energy that I was always you know told about you like Sarah was just one of a kind like she (laughs) you know had that presence and when we would take your yoga class, Shelby and I would just straight up cry. We would come and we'd be at the back of the studio, even in the yoga studio. Yes, that, that's the tears. I remember the tears. Oh, yeah. I love a, 
in, in my D cup bra with the just just crying <laughs> at the back. And like <laughs> we that's my new album title, Weeping in My D Cup. But like my D cup in the back. Because you know that could be the title of a memoir. That's coming for me one day. But but I think what it was that your class brought out in me was also unfamiliar in yoga, in yoga culture, which is you walked into the room not as a guru, not as any of that, nothing put on, but as here's me, my story, my shame, and here's what I'm working through. And it was just kind of impossible not to be sucked into that. I'm curious to know, where did you find, what is that part of you that where does that come from? That part of you, that kind of unashamed vulnerability that where do you access that? Where is the access point to that for you? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> it, it honestly just is, you know, it's in how I inhabit my body and it's how I, and you know, for a long time, I actually like, I was you know, living out loud and like, you know, but I also had, I had shame for that. I had like, I had behind the curtain shame because I would date some guys sometimes. And, and sometimes like we, it wouldn't go right. A lot of times y'all know there's a lot of stories. It went right now. <laughs> but you know, and one would say to whoever was a friend of mine, oh, you know, I just couldn't, like every time Sarah walks in a room, she just like sucks the air out of it. And I was like, wow, that's harsh. Or I'd have friends who were in the business say, oh my God, Sarah, you know, just like so much, so much, Sarah. And so it became this thing of like, oh my God. I, I So I, I don't know how not to do it. And then I'd always have to pedal back and bring self-awareness back, which like yoga helped so much in my mid twenties when I started practicing that aspect, yeah, I'd have to like you know do the watcher thing from um from a what, what, what's the book with the horse on the front? I should know this. I'm a yoga teacher. This um, untethered, untethered soul. Untethered soul. Thank you. You know, as you like are your watcher. Yeah. So I would watch, and I would I would be like, no, I don't think I actually am too much at all. I mean, I'm not a small personality, but I'm not a small person. You know, it's just like so. There were, there were many, many times in my life where I, uh, I wanted to hide that. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to just follow the rules and put my head down. And, you know, and I, I got in trouble sometimes for being me. That's why, like, I never auditioned for the Rockettes because I was like, I would get fired day two. No, day one. <laughs> They'd be like, Sarah, do it like this. And I'd be like, but it's cuter like this. <laughs> it's just like, I just knew I was self-aware enough then. Um, you know, but my experience in American in Paris was a tumultuous one because I was in a show with ballet dancers with a creative team that was a ballet team. Yes. So when I would, I was used to working in a collaborative way, you know, like Stro would be like, Sarah, do this. What do you think about this? Or, you know, what feels good? And, and this was very different. And, and so it was, uh, you know, I would speak up and say something and it was like, oh, you don't do that. And the ballet dancers would all gasp and all they would go. Oh. And then they would wait for like Chris Wielden, who love him. I mean, we, we do really have so much respect for each other, but they would wait for his reaction. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, so it's, so it's been like a very a strength and a weakness and all the things. But yeah, I access it just because it's like really from the deepest, authentic part of me. And I think you just need to find your tribe or your lover or your partner who love that about you. And the ones that don't, fuck them. Sorry. <laughs> you know, really. I mean, at this point, yeah, so. I just love that because I think for Shelby and I, like, especially in that stage of our lives, it's the stage we're navigating now still, but on a, a little bit of a deeper road along the path, but I'll speak for myself. And I know it relates deeply to Shelby is that we were kind of unwinding a, our performing arts careers as ballerinas, you know, kind of, there's so much to unpack the years. It takes years to unravel all of those challenges. And at the same time, you know, single women dating in New York City. And so coming to your class was this sort of church of that. And then men would come and go. And sometimes it was like, 
that that exact sentiment of like the too muchness. I think a lot of performers feel that or are so af- it's like the spectrum is so wide. It's either you're on the spectrum where you are a too much and you're told you're too much and you're struggling with and trying to suppress it or you've removed so much of your too muchness that you're now trying to kind of come back to the center and oof I feel that deeply. I just feel the too muchness. Yeah. I mean, and that's where the balance comes. That's where the union, the yoga, if you will, because yoga means union come together. You know, like I could live over here in too much land and I have before and there have been moments. And for me, I need to pull in that softer, more, someone's used the word feminine. I mean, I, I caution to use that word, but that sort of like motherly maternal energy um and and the quiet and and so over the years especially the last decade especially over the last five years or so that's been my work and it's been finally I feel centered in the both of those energies and so I think if you know if you're one type of person you sort of just garner the other end and then all of a sudden you know you are like, oh, this, I am this person, yeah. you know, if that makes sense. And, and so the best part is, is James, <laughs> James, the first time he was like, oh, Broadway Sarah's out. And I was like, I will murder you. Broadway Sarah is the same as yoga Sarah, is the same as Sarah Sarah. And, and he was like, babe, I'm just kidding. He's like, but it is. And I was like, really? What's that wrong? And so like we laugh now. And so Broadway Sarah has become a term of endearment for when yeah. I come overly excited or emotional yeah you're like triggered me (laughs) yeah I love that Sarah I have so many profound memories in my mind so clear of after some life-changing yoga class that you would teach and I would just come up to you after like covered in sweat and tears just for some tiny little powerful exchange and one of them I'll never forget because I think just now I had an aha moment, which is that you are the Liz Gilbert of yoga. Like, (laughs) and funny enough, one time after taking your class, I walked around the corner and saw Liz Gilbert sitting, having lunch at that little Mexican place nearby Moto. And I, I was compelled to say something to her. I literally interrupted her lunch and thanked her for her work. Sidebar, you are Liz Gilbert of yoga. And I think that I say that because you're raw, you're vulnerable and you're articulate and you do not let the mess get in the way of your momentum. You allow it to fuel you. Um, there was a specific class in my mind that I've never forgotten, which is, it was about the power of communicating in an articulate way first with yourself and then with others. And it grew out of, um, an experience you had had of being broken up with through a text message. Do you remember that? Class? Oh my God, Mark, I will put him on blast. I won't say his last name, but his name is Mark and he's tall and he might be a lawyer. Maybe not. I don't know. Mark, you cannot sit with us, Mark. <laughs> not with him. <laughs> We've probably also been burned by Mark. Um, if women, if you are single and listening to this podcast, if there is a Mark, who lives in Wall Street, stay away. (laughs) I'm dying, but I just got such, like it really hit me because I'm like, that is such a real thing. It's not something you're going to put on Instagram and tell the world, but you just told a studio of 60 humans and you were able to weave this very authentic and genuine, meaningful lesson out of that, that I was able to go home with. And I didn't have to learn that the hard way because you did. And it was just so cool and raw and real. And it, yeah. So yeah, you're the Liz Gilbert of yoga. Um, oh my gosh. This is, I mean, I will, can we just talk all night? You guys make me feel so cool. <laughs> um, but a lot of what Jess and I discuss and unravel and try to provide language for is the very tumultuous journey of transitioning. Um, in our experience, in my experience, personally, it's, you know, beyond my dance career. And I remember specifically asking you one day, you know, how have you dealt with that? Like, what is your relationship with no longer performing? Because for me, that's what I miss the most. I don't miss like the 90% of the demand of that lifestyle, but just that, that performance element. And I'll never forget. You were like, you know, 
now I have this. And you pointed to the studio and you had this, you're like, it's a new platform to guide from. It's a new platform to use and articulate my voice and tell my story and rewrite my narratives in such a meaningful way. And you said like, I don't have one ounce of remorse for that life. And it really shifted the perspective for me. And I want to thank you for that. I don't know if I ever truly did. I mean, you, I'm sure you have, cause you have told me like it, but, but you are, you are welcome. And I'm so glad that resonated and landed for you because it was, there have been two profound shifts in my life now. Uh, the one was that moment where I left performing and I decided I was going to be air quotes, just a yoga teacher, which um, I did not say that, but I, I, I decided I was going to, I knew I had had enough. I knew that the joy was not in my work anymore, that the work wasn't important to me anymore, um, whether it be the work just, you know, was it what it was or, but, but I, I knew it was time. And so the greatest identity crisis I had in that moment was no longer going on a date, a first date and saying, well, yes, I'm in a Broadway show. Yeah. You know, I'm Sarah and I'm in a Broadway show. Oh, oh what Broadway show? No, not Hamilton. <laughs> that was always the first question. Are you Hamilton? I was like, have you looked at me? I'm a 5'11 white girl. No, I am not in Hamilton, but I would love to be. Um, I really love to sing that soundtrack. Okay. Oh. So yeah, like I, you know, that was the first step. Like who, like who literally Swami Muktananda style, like where am I going? Who am I? Yeah. You know, and like, because my whole life was held in the, in, in the basket of Sarah, the performer, Sarah, big Sarah, Sarah, you know, too much. So, you know, I started teaching yoga while I was performing and I noticed that I was loving that far more. I noticed that I was able to express myself just like I did singing and dancing, you know, on stage by teaching a yoga class. And it felt far more authentic because I wasn't wearing a costume. I wasn't playing a character. I was starting to, just how you learn a character when you're like working on a new script and you're like, what are their intentions? Who are they? What do they do? Like, I was relearning myself. I was relearning, you know what I mean? I was doing character study on myself because yeah. it was first time where I really had to say, okay, so I'm not Sarah the performer, so who am I then, you know? And then all the other lanes of me started to take center stage, if you will, for lack of a better analogy. And then the other profound shift was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and, and the journey I just went on over the last year. Um, uh, on top of meeting, you know, my person and dog and home and like life shifts. So the, those are the two major transitions in my life. Um, and they're scary AF. It's so scary. I mean, obviously the breast cancer was extraordinarily like it's life threatening. So it's terrifying, but, but the shift and changing careers and, 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 sh and shifting your identity and asking those questions can be just as scary. Yeah. I believe so. So kudos for both of you for making the huge life changes that you've made, not only moving to a different city and beginning this podcast, but also just listening and saying, what is it that my soul wants? And then starting to do it, which is Sarah. the whole thing. I mean, you're, first of all, just, you just so perfectly spoke to so much of what has been the heart of these conversations was, which is that identity crisis in that moment that's just inevitable. We all reach it and it's that who am I beyond, and for the performers, it's who am I beyond who I was as a performer. Um, and I was going to ask you in relationship to your, your journey with breast cancer, the first thing I was going to say was that I'm so afraid to even ask you because I'm so afraid of breast cancer. And the fear I feel is probably greater than any fear I've ever felt. Like it's, it's even the fear to ask you and you spoke to that so perfectly when you just, you, you highlighted it immediately, the fear of that. And so I'm curious, I think the question there is like, how did you confront that fear and how has your relationship with fear changed now as you've lived through this journey, you know, because that's, like a journey of fear on the deepest, probably most primal level, you know? You know, I'm still really trying to figure that one out. And I will say like, I was never afraid of breast cancer. 
I didn't have breast cancer in my family. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, uh, breast cancer. Would you? I would tell you that would be the last thing that would ever happen to me. Like I touch my own boobs. James touches my boobs. We didn't notice anything. Yeah. You know, um, I found the lump and it was four centimeters. It was like huge. It just like grew one day. My oncologist actually told me she believes it probably grew in six months that big, just quick, just like that. You know, like over the pandemic, I was like, that's rude COVID. I didn't get COVID, but I got cancer. <laughs> you know, like, couldn't get COVID if, to save my life. Um, not that yeah, I want Running around in a yoga studio, not getting COVID in a yeah. And we were like the clubs in Miami. I mean, we like, I have no idea how we didn't, but thank, thankfully we did not. Cause it is y'all, if you were listening and you were not vaccinated, shame on you. It's real. All right. Anyway, that's my PSA. So you can get vaccinated to get cancer, but you can't. So get your COVID vaccine. Um, yeah. So fear. Um, I had obviously moments when I got diet, when I found it, got the imaging. I'm so intuitive. Like I could see on the person's face that was doing the first ultrasound. I was like, Oh, this is bad. You know, and they're taught to have poker face, but I could just feel yeah, and put the pieces together. Um, from looking at bodies my whole life and doing that now as a yoga entrepreneur. Um, Yes, that was the most terrifying like week of my life. Uh, And as the news came in and in and in, you know, more and more fear, uh, which I handled really maturely by like guzzling like two bottles of white wine when I got diagnosed and like crying. and, um, And then you go into this thing where the fear is so great that you just put on and, and, you know, you put on the blinders and you just like the last year of my life, I was, I was like, you just got to get through. So there wasn't, the fear would come at night in the quiet. And I would, I was pretty good. I was pretty brave through this whole thing, I must say. And I did cancer really well. I was the best at cancer as my mom would say. <laughs> Best, were you the best at that? Were you the best at the infusion center? Well, yes, mom, I was. She's, <laughs> I love her. Uh, but you know, you know, and 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 this, I will say, also tapped into that softer, closed, more part of me that has always been there, but doesn't lead. It's like you know, in the middle of the night, I would tap on James's shoulder, and I just he would roll over, and I was like, babe, and he'd be like, yeah, babe, and I'd say, am I gonna die? and then he'd say no babe you're not gonna die okay okay but I'd roll back over and go back to sleep or not but most of the time I did because he would spoon me that man is oh he took care of me um yeah so you know the fear and now on the back end of treatment they call it active treatment now that I'm done with that it's come and I'm trying to understand what my relationship with the fear of this thing ever coming back because they give you like a number they're like oh yeah um you know your number is 10 percent and and so my active practice now as a human as a yogi as a yoga teacher as a partner as a sister as you know is is to is to sit in the fear acknowledge it and then shift it and say okay but there's 90 percent chance that i'm gonna live a long life and like, you know, da, da, da. And so each thing that comes, I just sort of say, I'm, I'm scared and then become super present and then, and then sort of shift it and say, don't forecast, you know? So I don't know. It's a very complex relationship we all have with loss and with fear, but as someone who lost, I lost my titties, I lost my hair, I lost, I lost my ability to carry kids. I lost all these things in like one fell swoop, but I also gained so, 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 so much, you know? So it's really, yeah, I'll let you know when I, when I figure it out, but I'm on the road. (laughs) I will say for perspective's sake that losing your identity sounds like a walk in the park compared by comparison. So there's that, there's (laughs) that, but I find that you know, well, my dad's a doctor. And when he, when he shares with me some of the conversations he has to have with patients, whether it's cancer or something else that's life-threatening, and it, there's just this immediate perspective shift and priority shift of like what actually matters. And when I think about fear and my relationship with fear as performers, I mean, we go out there 
and do crazy, ask crazy things of our bodies and voices and artistic capacities for audiences of thousands and thousands without blinking an eye, you know, like Nutcracker, sure, in my sleep, whatever. And that to most people would be a terrifying thing to sign yourself up for, like willingly, right? Especially because we're not raking in the salary of like a soccer player for some backwards reason in this country. Oh, so wrong. Yeah, PSA, support the arts. That is why. That aside, you know, we have a very, like a very high baseline standard for pain and for the traditional understanding of something that would be fearful. And, you know, and I find that whether we're being faced with injury or something that's career threatening or something that's life threatening, like a paradigm shift, we're not naive to those experiences as performers at a baseline. Um, And so I'm curious how, if at all, that kind of conditioning of just stalwartness showed up for you in in this path oh my gosh I mean I think about this all the time you know I remember going to career transitions for dancers yeah uh, right before I transitioned um and I had the most amazing you know session with this woman and and I basically said she's like well you need to make a new resume and I was like well I have one she's like not with your shows on it she's like you know I said, what am I going to put on it? All I've done is the shows. And she said, you put the skills yeah. that you've learned as a professional dancer. Let me tell you what those are. What do you think those are? You know? And so we listed them. And I always held that, that little interaction at CTFD um, very close to my heart. And I was like, I am more powerful. So when I started my own company and then I started a second company now and I had the breast cancer diagnosis, those skills as dancers, like they come in immediately. It's, you know, we're used to having the floor dropped out. Like you'll go into work and they're like, PS in a week, you're out of work. The show is closing. Good luck with your project. Yeah. You know? And then you have to trust. You have to trust that between your, your skill and your talent and, you know, the universe and all the things that come together that you're going to be okay. And I always was okay. You know, I did what I had to do to be okay. And so in this, obviously in the business ownership, but more so in the cancer realm, it was like, okay, once I got through that, this was actually happening and like, was like, okay, this is not a joke. You're, you're going to get your boobs cut off tomorrow morning. And then all of these things, you then go into dancer mode, which is okay. Like, I got this. I'm going to, okay, what's next? All right, we're going to do that. Okay. Like five, six, seven, eight, kickball change, go to chemo, you know? And it, and it, and so also the pain threshold, you know, I, I, and I have to thank God that I was a dancer and a yogi because my recovery from my surgeries and from chemo, like my oncologist said, my blood work was out of someone that's not even in chemo, during chemo. Wow. And that's not to say there weren't some like really shady, shady moments because it was super painful. But I think that ability as dancers to get it done, no matter what, like broken toe, you go out there, you know, you get a phone call that someone passed away, you go on stage and you stop crying. Um, So I think that skill got me through this entire year, um, which, you know, is a good thing and a bad thing (laughs) because, because, but, but you have to, because it's just too too immense if you stopped and thought about what was happening to you to hold it's too heavy to hold yeah so you so you do you just you just do the whole show and after the show you know you ice your feet and you're like what the hell just happened (laughs) and then you go get a drink at angus is that even still open well we don't know you guys aren't in new york anymore i'm out here in the hamptons oh my gosh i sarah i have I have two things. I have so many things that are coming up as you speak. Focus me. (laughs) One one of them is about James. I'm going to get to that because I just want to respond to one thing before that, which is just coming to me now. And I didn't really realize it. Okay. Now I feel like I'm going to cry, but I'm not going to. I think for dancers and for artists, (laughs) I'm like feeling this like really intensely in my body. I think that, I think back to my dance career and how much pain and shame I held over my body image because of stepping into a room in a leotard and directors speaking to me and um, comments being made about my breasts constantly as a ballerina and 
taping them down. And I'm, I mean, the works with this body and just, I'm thinking about dancers in general and how much we and women, not just dancers, women and men, just the body image issues and this critical, constant critical thing over our God given just bodies. And you had this moment where it's like, we have to cut your breasts off of your body. Like, and I had a moment in my life where I had a breast reduction because I was like, I hate my body. I hate my boobs. I hate. And I think that's why I've always felt fear about breast cancer was it's always been on my mind. Like one day you could have a, a shift in your mind where you really have a, something wrong, you know, like it's been like, and you are allowing this kind of mental fucked upness for a better word for it, holding that over your body. And you were faced with that, you know, where it's like perhaps any comment, wrong comment you've ever said to yourself about your body, like that's so deeply felt by so many dancers. What a shift you were faced with when you're faced with the health, any one of us, when we're faced with a health crisis, it's like, whoa, was all that time I spent criticizing myself worth it to be faced in this moment. And I'm wondering if you had kind of any revelation over that. You know, it's funny is, so I had an eating disorder. I'm sure we all did, unfortunately. I needed this order when I was in my teens in high school and patterns obviously disordered everything through my twenties. And when I found yoga, it brought me again, the union thing. It brought me Sarah, who looks a certain way, who has to look a certain way. Sarah who has to be thin, has to be tall, long legs, Sarah, this is Sarah. And like, she is this body. She is this product. And it brought me closer to myself in a, in a way that I never experienced as a performer. And so that relationship was paramount in developing my story beyond that. And because I then began like saying kind things to my body and began saying, look how strong my body is and not, and began eating whatever I wanted and not thinking about it. So, because then I started to understand that I was far more than a commodity of my body. Mm -hmm. Right. I was far more. So when people would say shit to me, which they did after like, you know, I will say like BY and AY before yoga and after yoga, when I started practicing, you know, for real, yeah, it started to come into my truth. Probably like I started practicing my mid twenties, but not hardcore to like 31. When that would happen in a show or backstage, I would literally put up my finger <laughs> and I was like, no, I am. I was like, I am beautiful. Of course, there are there are moments where you know we all are like whatever. But so when faced with the cancer thing, because all of that had happened, the last thing I did was cry about the look of my boobs. Like right now, it's hilarious. Like you would like I'm on Instagram every like my boobs are so crooked right now, and I'll show them to anyone. I'm like touch them, look at them. Like they look fab from where I sit. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, but they're they're temporary okay so they're i'm gonna get new titties these are temporary titties y'all can't hear it in podcast land but they're kind of crooked you know i got to keep my nipples a lot of women don't depending on where their cancer is so that was that that actually felt very important to me just as a connection in my womanhood um so the the idea of the shape of my body and the look you know was the last thing on my mind, obviously, because you don't want to die. But but there is an, there is another identity crisis in like losing the things that don't make you a dancer or beautiful, but that make you a, a woman. Yeah. And that part was like, I'll never be able to breastfeed. Oh, and then I'll never be able to bear children in my own belly. Yeah. And, and so those characteristics, you know, I'm in menopause, y'all. I'm 39 in menopause because they have to keep me in menopause chemically because my cancer feeds off estrogen, right? So there's like a couple different kinds of breast cancers. Mine feeds off estrogen. So not only, uh, you know, now I'm like a six-year-old woman. So I wake up and I literally feel like I have rheumatoid arthritis in my joints, which is like a completely different. And now when I start moving, I feel better. Right. So like the idea of, of this, you know, this sort of like identity of a physical body and that 
that worry went away a while ago because of the yoga, which I highly suggest if you guys <laughs> have not tried yoga yet. I'm not going to be a yoga pusher, but I'm going to be a yoga pusher. Um, you know, it's magic. It does what it needs to do for each person. But, um, but yeah, so I'm also still living, like, sometimes I cry and I'm like, I feel like a, I don't feel like a woman anymore because they're going to have to take my ovaries too because I have a genetic mutation that could give me ovarian cancer. So they'll have to take those once we decide our fertility journey. So now I'm like, okay, then what is left? Yeah. yeah of me that's it's a very interesting like oh thing sort of, you know experiencing but at the same time yeah I feel I still feel beautiful and so it's weird it's oh. so layered it's so layered and you just what you just said reminded me of a conversation I had with Corrine who is my other yogi star <laughs> I took her class this morning online the medicine <laughs> one I took with the root with the mud going for yes, yes. I took but, the I took and because I have a lotus tattoo and like I teach lotus I haven't taught lotus mudra in a while I should probably teach that because uh, because it resonated so strongly with me about coming out of the mud and this stuff she was killing me what did she keep she kept she, like when she says things incorrectly like or flips them around I just die so like I was it was like profound and I cried and then I also laughed the whole time because she was like half Anumana and I was like it's Hanuman and she was like Hanumana and you don't care what she says. She could call it like, you know, George Washington pose and you'd be like, yes. <laughs> so anyway, okay, you were talking to her. I just had to have a Kareen love moment. So I would follow her into a furnace. Really. Yeah. Um, but. She'd think- be like, come on, Shetty, we're going to burn. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, follow me, Shetty. <laughs> So honored to speak with her on this podcast a couple of months ago and, and we were just fangirling so hard. But anyway, this is all to say that one time I had a conversation with her about the identity of a dancer and transitioning and all these things. And she, she was like, listen, Sherry, you were, she's like, there is a light inside of you, your essence. It always existed. It was there far before you ever stood in a ballet studio. It, you you made it manifest in a really unique way under spotlights around the world. And now you're no longer dancing and it's still there because it was always there. And I feel like it's such a relevant message because our femininity, our womanhood, I mean, yes, there are physical affectations of that. There are physiological capacities of that raising children, but no, our essence was always there and it does not, nothing matters. Like nothing can happen to us to take that away. And I believe that so much in you, Sarah, like so much of your essence and your aura is profound beyond words. Like I feel it in my entire room right now. And we are so many miles away from each other. There is, you live very, you live very loudly and not, not just with your amazing, beautiful voice and your energy, but your aura is very loud. And that is the kind of thing that as a seeker, I listen for, it's what I gravitate towards. It's what I absorb on very deep, deep, deep in deep seated levels. And I believe with every fiber of my being that you're only becoming more of a woman, more of yourself. You're giving more louder voice and volume to that essence, which has just always been there. And I I just take all of that from Corrine and I'm just I mean, first of all, of course she said that because she's brilliant. And that's such a, I mean, it's such a, and it's, and it's, and and it's, it's a thousand percent true. And what Shelby just, you guys rewind this podcast and and then replay Shelby's last little paragraph a lot and remind yourself of it when you're feeling less than, or, or not like yourself or your transition is not as bumpy because that is the one thing I will say that my light grew stronger because I am talking about the other things too, right? Like there's struggle. There's all these things. I mean, you know, this journey, the last, the last year has not been a cakewalk, but the strength that I mind inside of myself and my ability to stay present in my own joy, I was falling in love during cancer. You know what I mean? Like I was, I got engaged during cancer. Like, you know, to James, guys. I didn't explain. James is my fiance. Everyone, um, I just I assume everybody. Yeah, I want to talk about um, love. Yeah. So, like, but all these things were happening around me, and I was 
through the struggle, through the love, through the, through the blossoming, through the breakdown was, was growing more and more into this, you know, and someone, a couple people had stated this, which I, I, I found hard at first because they were like, you were put here, you know, on this path. And I was like, you know, we could have done this without the cancer, but maybe not. I don't know, because we talk about this podcast calling artists becoming, right? And like the becoming of who I am right now, as I sit and talk to you guys today, you know, is, is my favorite version of myself, I think, yet whether it's a version of myself or just like my essence has has blossomed into something that I, I feel so powerful about. So, I mean, you know, you think about, there are no gifts from cancer when people are like, that's a gift. I was like, no, no, no. However, I chose to make the experience one that I didn't shut down on. I stayed present and I felt and listened and it came out of me, so. Yeah. Oh my word. I, I, yeah. Oh my word. I'm oh, bowing down. Word. I'm going to just cry all night. <laughs> but I, Sarah, I wanted, when I was mentioning James, what I wanted to ask you was, you know, you just described that moment of, you know, lying in bed with him and obviously your love story with him. And so much of like when we were taking your class, you know, we saw you through thick and thin of like, we were there as the transition into James was happening. So we saw this kind of like went from maybe the Mark rhetoric and like recovering from the marks of the sad lawyer, as I used to call one of mine, that hashtag sad lawyer. But like, you know. My ex-husband was a sad lawyer too. What is sad lawyer? Sad and they're out there. (laughs) You guys, if you're a lawyer and you're listening, I love you. And if you're happy in your job, do it. But like, if you're unhappy, which I felt a lot of lawyers are, become. Become. (laughs) You happy. So, so we kind of like were present to that, and I remember us being like, you know, being obsessed with it because we were just fully subscribed to your story and we were subscribed all along the way and in our own journeys of dating and discovering and and unwinding to be honest gosh relational things are real and things you pick up on as a dancer and the apologeticness and the discomfort and the inability to communicate those are things that transfer into romantic relationships you know and we've now heard from various dancers where it took a shift in their identity as a dancer to shift their romantic relationships. Like they go hand in hand and, um, you know, it's like daddy issues, but it's director issues kind of a thing. And I love that. That's so true. So true. And so I think that I just love, would love to hear because you're just so clearly viscerally inside of this love story that is unraveling that has been faced with enormous challenge. And what has that felt like for you to shift into this relationship where there's an abundance of love and there's this partnership. And I just want to hear, I just want to hear about the love love story. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I met James four months before the pandemic started on the internet app, the league. Ladies, there's great men on there. I'm just saying they're all who they say they are. None of them are like super exciting, but some are. So don't judge a book by their cover. Um, so I met him on the league and, and, you know, a couple months before that, I got my puppy glory, like a month before that I met him literally like almost a month to the day. And I, and a couple months before that, I'd sort of like made this choice. I had said, you know, I had gotten really clear on the partner that I want to search for. And I, what I was doing in other relationships is I would try and fit myself in, I would try to play the role of what they wanted. Okay. We'll go back to the acting analogy because it's perfect here. You know, I, I would forget about what I wanted, just such a dancer thing. And I'd be like, oh, you have three kids and you're a widower. Um, okay. Um, okay. So I don't need to have my own kids. I mean, your kids would be my kids because, you know, she, so Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd still be a mom. So I actually don't need to have my own kids. All right. And then I'm like, what are you doing? Like you want children, but I just, the voice, I turned it off because we're so good at it. And then like another relationship, you know, I'd say, 
oh my God, totally. I don't need to get married. We can be partners. Who needs a piece of paper? And then I kept putting my grandmother's ring subconsciously on my ring finger. Oh my God. I would just do it. And I was like, oh, you, uh, what are you doing? Like you want to be, so I kept like shifting, mm-hmm. shape shifting for, for the men. And I had really just had enough. And I was like, you know, what is it? Like, you need to just get super clear on what you want. You want kids. Mm -hmm. You want to be married. So, you know, don't be the weirdo on the first date. that's like, do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? You know, like, you know, those women, especially when you're like a 38 year old woman is when I met James, you know, they already think that you're going to be baby crazy if you don't have a baby yet. So you have to be like real careful. But honest, but also not be like, do you want a baby? Um, <laughs> Interesting how men can ask that question with no reservations. But when we do, it's. You got another podcast for that? Because yes, that's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. So I had made this decision, got real clear on what I wanted. And I decided, you know, like, I just need to just stand up for that and just be. And I met James and, you know, I also made this thing. I was like, I'm not going to like do this like torrid. I, you know, the actress in me was always like, yes, these like really emotional, sexual, you know, I want that. I want emotion. I want sexual, right? I want that. And you, you get that too. But I also want to like step back and be like, are you, are you the guy? I don't want to keep making you the guy and making myself the girl. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it, we quarantined with my parents in Florida. Um, it was like the, the like love fest of the world. They loved him. Every night he was like, I want to marry you. I want you to have my kids. We danced in the kitchen. He cooked for my family. Um, and then we had a huge issue happen. And I always tell this story, you know, without telling the whole story, just to say like, he did something real dumb. And I caught him. And I kicked him out. And he said, I'm going to stay. And I'm going to fight for you every single day. And he did. And we worked on our relationship and we grew, we we stayed up all night, some nights and a lot of tears, a lot of trauma. And we, I said, this is, this is the man I want to be with. And he was like, you are the, you are the love of my life. And we bought a house sight unseen on the internet. This is the house I'm sitting in. (laughs) WWW. We hadn't seen it. We sent a friend. Um, and, you know, we were like, let's, we're making this commitment. Like, let's not dick around. We yeah. waited our whole lives for each other. And then um, we moved into the house August 4th. We closed and moved in. We showed up to the closing with like a, um, a Clampett's moving van. We were like, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> we like went to the lawyer's office in the U-Haul. It was really classy. And uh, I got diagnosed with cancer three weeks later. And I say, if all of those things wouldn't have happened, I don't know if we would have like been able to sit in an IVF office five days after I got diagnosed and having the doctor say, do you want to make eggs or embryos? And I look at James and he looks at me and he goes, embryos, you know, it's like that safety and security in that relationship came from me not hiding what I wanted or who I was. Mm -hmm. It came from James, obviously not hiding the things that he needs to work on and who he was and what he wants and things I need to work on too. I'm not perfect. Um, And we, for the first time, like had a, a relationship that was so honest and so strong and unbreakable, really, you know, and, and we have great sex, <laughs> like all the other things. God bless. Um, you know, like, and we laugh. And so it's, it's in the package that you, you know, you never know how it's going to come really. But. Oh, Sarah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it's huge. I think the huge, huge light bulb in that is that you were put that entire thing of putting on the costumes and being the girl and being the cool girl and Da, 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 and shape-shifting, and it's so easy for us as performers. It's easy for us as women. It's easy to not own who you are and what you are and allow the right person to step forward to embrace that versus shape-shifting to fit into a box you probably don't even want to sit inside of. And I just... Mm-hmm. And it sounds, it sounds so annoying, Cause like when I'm like, oh, well, I'm getting married now to my love of my life. So I can tell you this. Let me give you advice, Jess. 
We're but, like, we've got our notebooks out. <laughs> you know how, you know how like someone's like, married, the like, you know how someone's like married with kids and like, they like sit you down and they're like, well, I will tell you about how hard to, and you're like, bitch, you married with kids, you want everything that I have. No, you want anyway. So it's so true though, that when you stop doing that, right. maybe you'll have a harder time like dating quote unquote, but you will attract someone who is actually what you want. And, and maybe in New York and around, but especially in New York, if you want something that's like a real rooted, honest, open, grounded relationship is hard because everybody there is trying to shape shift and put on costumes and be like the Mr. Important, the Mrs. Famous. You're in a city of shapeshifters. Yeah. But when you lead by example and you inhabit your own body, you know, and you know what you want, then it's inevitable that, you know, you just be patient and it will come if you continue to stay true yeah. to those things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just giggling because I have people ask me you know living out in Sausalito like do you miss New York or this or that and the first thing I say is like no I was tired of wearing a costume and I love New York but I have this pair of boots <laughs> Shelby knows the boots those high chunky I don't know New York, they're, New York boots. <laughs> they're my New York boots and I was unpacking my bags <laughs> I took the boots out and I was like these are straight up ridiculous. And this is like, they are, I can never wear them again. I wouldn't even, I can't even, who let me wear those in New York City? Shelby, I'm mad at you. That was a friend. That was a move in which you should have said no. And, um, yeah. but they, they are so symbolic to me of like this costume that I would put on that, that, and you know, it was fun. And I loved, I love, I love wearing costumes, but like on Halloween, you know? <laughs> yes. On Halloween, you know? Like, I don't even dress up for, what was there or something? Someone's like, are you dressing up? I was like, bitch, I lived in a costume. My whole life was like, we yeah. don't have to dress up. No, no, but isn't it, isn't it amazing when you're in, you're in a place where you feel like actually in harmony with, you know, I, I had that a little earlier because when I started my my old business in Montauk and then, you know, being out in the Hamptons a lot, when I came out here, I was like, oh, this is you. Wild hair, no bra, you know, shoes. I would like drive around without shoes on and end up like needing to go to the grocery store. And I was like, you don't have shoes in your car, Sarah. Like, you know, like not a, not a five inch Jimmy Choo. Now I have them. <laughs> to, like, you know, when appropriate when I'm in the city, but yeah, you just, it's, you, 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 you do wear the New York costume without realizing it. We love this mantra, Jess, I think you introduced it to me, but it's what's yours shall not pass you by. There's many versions of, of that, which means the same thing. What's yours shall not pass you by. And I think that the more in tune we can get with who we are, like with what we know to be ours, um, the more sensitive we become to what's ours not passing us by, whether that's a job, an opportunity, a role, a person, um, a partner, a life path. And I just think in so many ways you embody the integrity and trust and fearlessness and fearfulness that it takes to navigate that in a true and authentic way. And I will just continue to honor you for that the rest of my whole long life. <laughs> I love you. I love you both. This is like, it's just, and that's, that's the beauty of seeing like, you know, what you share on an energetic level and a human level at a friendship level in one little room in the West village, you know, is like, if you let yourself, yeah. right. It's like anywhere. So, I mean, and, and it's a beautiful, special, special thing. And I'm very grateful that you two have crossed my paths and I couldn't be prouder of you for, for have, creating this thing that people need to hear these conversations. And I hope by creating this and allowing your voices and the voices of those you have on to be heard, you will change people's lives. I mean, I, this is what I get every day on Instagram after documenting my journey through breast cancer is every single day a woman messages me. I just got diagnosed. I went through your whole breast cancer diaries segment. Oh. I laughed. I cried. I know I'm going to be alive. And I was like, yes, you are. Wow. You know? And that, so that, my friends, is what you're creating too. Unbelievable. When is your book going to be available for purchase? 
<laughs> I gotta get so I was like telling my are we ready to read it <laughs> I have like I've written it in my head I know the, the whole first chapter I know exactly how it goes I, and the problem is which is what the next couple weeks is is that I need to just create space to sit down and write it which means say no to the things that you really don't need to be doing like I'm very lucky I have so many clients with privates you know our money is fine in my world right now it feels very abundant financially abundant with exciting projects but when you have so many it gets cluttered so right now my work is to I know the book is exactly what exactly what the soul is saying must do must do must do so what we've talked about this whole podcast is I just need to listen and honor and then make space. So that's where we are. So hopefully the book ASAP. Okay. Stay tuned. We'll have you, we'll have you back to, to talk yes. us through it. <laughs> I would love to do a dramatical reading of the chapter where, where James got drunk during IVF and I threw a beer at his head or something. Like that. <laughs> really oh yeah. He like oh. gave me an IVF shot drunk. I, I was going to murder him anyway. <laughs> Okay. I love, I love him. him. Love it. We love you, James. We love you, Sarah. We are here for your becoming. Woo! All hail. All hail, y'all. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I'm happy to be here and be alive. So that's where we are. Oh, love we love you. Love you too. Want to connect further with our community at Artists Becoming? Rate and review this podcast and subscribe to stay on top of our weekly guest artist conversations and our small chats, big topics. Check out www.artistbecoming.com to learn more about our monthly subscription membership filled with on-demand guided meditation and yummy yoga practices to support your unique journey as a performing artist. Follow along on Instagram at Artist Becoming for sneak peeks and inspiring content and DM us the dream artists, athletes, performers, psychologists that you'd love to hear from or topics you'd like for us to unpack. Sharing is caring, so fire up that group chat, share to your stories, comment, share, 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 and just stay connected with us. We are here for your becoming.